AFX Media Group. Welcome to the Modern Christian Men Podcast. My name is Kale Nelson. Really appreciate you stopping by. Hey, we're here to help you grow your faith, strengthen your family, and impact your world for Jesus. Hey, you can find us online at modernchristianmen.com. We're all over the socials as well. If you have any questions, you want to learn more about the program, visit us at modernchristianmen.com. John Carney is the co-founder, president, and CEO of 40 Days for Life, a pro-life organization that holds campaigns, prayer vigils around the U.S. and across the world. His latest book, To the Heart of the Matter, is a prayer devotional written to equip Christians to support the unborn through prayer. In addition to leading the worldwide pro-life advocacy ministry, Sean has also produced and hosted award-winning pro-life documentaries. He is the co-author of 40 Days for Life, discover what God has done, and he also hosts the 40 Days for Life podcast. Sean and his family, his wife, and eight children live in Houston, Texas. Now, before we get started here, I got to tell you, Sean's a podcaster, Kel's a podcaster, and it's been a long time since I've been on the microphone. So I'm going to take out some of the pre-call stuff, and we're going to go right into the conversation. Thanks for listening to the Modern Christian Men's Show. Everywhere I go, it's negative, negative, negative. And I thought to myself, if this man is praying and fasting and and writing devotionals on behalf of the unborn, surely he's got some joy of Jesus inside of him. And we can talk about that and talk about how we can pray for those who aren't born and we can pray for those who are sick. Because the same Jesus that can save the unborn is the same Jesus that can save us from our situation we're in now. Oh, definitely. I think it's a great... Back to basics, you know, there's a God and we're not him. Yeah, and exactly. the coronavirus is showing us that. <laughs> so, you know, you, what do you mean I can't go to my in-laws to celebrate our kid's birthday party? Well, that's illegal. You're yeah. on lockdown, yeah. you know, you so stay home. it is. It's a, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, it's a great to, nobody has any reason not to be praying more or reading more. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> So let's talk just for a few minutes, Sean, about your, uh, your, your 40 Days for Life. Uh, it's an organization that you helped found. Is that correct? Yes, yes. I'm the co-founder. Cool. So it is a pro-life movement. It's a pro-life uh, advocacy group. What do you guys do for the unborn? Yeah, we do really the very basic. We hold peaceful vigils outside of abortion facilities for 40 days, 40 day time periods uh, around the world. So we are in 900 and over 950 country cities in 66 different countries around the world where we've held these peaceful vigils where we pray, we fast, we offer alternatives uh, in front of where the abortion facilities actually happen. Did you just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to go sit in front of this place for 40 days and with some buddies and fast and pray for the unborn and these <laughs> these birth moms coming in there who may or may not make a good decision. Um, how, how did how did you get how did you find this burden? How did I? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I wanted to be a lawyer, so I think God was punishing me, um, <laughs> and in His divine justice. 
I was in college at Texas A&M, and my then-girlfriend, now wife, mother of our, our eight beautiful children, uh, she would go out and peacefully pray at our Planned Parenthood abortion facility in College Station. I was from a small town in Texas, never seen an abortion facility, didn't know what one looked like, and to my knowledge, I never met a woman who had ever had an abortion. And so I went with her. I saw you know, my peers, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, going in and coming out for abortions, and it just broke my heart. And so we got really involved in college and our local pro-life organization, and it was there that we did see abortions going up, and we did get together with our, our buddies and our friends and say, you know, what can we do to really give everything to God with this issue? So we decided to do 40 days of prayer, 40 days of fasting, and 40 days of a nonstop peaceful vigil outside of our local Planned Parenthood. And that was the first 40 Days for Life campaign. That was 2004. And in 2007, we launched it nationally, hoping we'd get about 25 cities, and it just took off. And so now we have a, a fall campaign and a spring campaign around the world. Wow. Can, are you familiar with the numbers or an estimate of per day abortions in the states? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's about three thousand abortions every single day in the United States of America. I think you know, with abortion, there's just numbers, and people can be like, "Stop!" Yeah. You know, yeah. I just want to throw my hands up in the air and jump off a cliff. Um, but I think the number that that resonates with people, to put it in perspective, the three thousand a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, we can relate to that. You can't relate to the, the, the 62 million that we've seen since Roe v. Wade in the United States. That's just an overwhelming number. But the big picture number is globally. And that is that 56 million people die every year in the world. Um, whether it's a car accident, cancer, heart disease, whatever, an additional 56 million are aborted every single year in the world. And that is a that is a staggering number that just statistically puts abortion as as, you know, the genocide of all genocides. And so, you know, that is obviously a problem that is so massive that we're forced to hand it over to God. I mean, if you run out and you're going to end abortion and you go out into the streets or you go into your pregnancy center, you storm, you know, all the churches, you know, you're going to last about five minutes. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to do it, you, you have to hand this over to God and it's more dear to him than it is to us because he chose for his son to come into the world through the womb. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't realize that it was on pace to match all other deaths and that's a yearly total that, that yearly that's an annual yeah that's an annual total and um you know here in the united states despite that everyone should know that america is the leader of the free world when it comes to the pro life movement um that's just a fact mm-hmm. it's it's not just us you know kind of waving our flags and saying we are doing more for the unborn than any other you know civilized country it's just true and it's kind of a sad statement. I mean, the pro-life movement in parts of Europe has been dead as secularization has, has is and has been ruining Europe. And 
you know, we see that America, we have shamefully exported abortion places like through corporate America and also through our government. Right. And so Africa, Latin America, we go to these places and we say you ought not breed and we're here to help you. And um, you have pro familia in Latin America, which is Planned Parenthood International. So but we've also exported the solution. And these countries don't look at us and say, shame on you, America. We hate you. You gave us abortion. Quite the opposite. They look to us with enthusiasm and joy and they see the faith in God in America. And they say, you're fighting this and have been for a while and you're doing so and you're successful Um, more successful than other countries by far, so teach us to do that. And that's why 40 Days for Life has spread around the world. You you mentioned the word, and it's the word that came to my mind as you were speaking numbers, genocide. I mean, if we're killing as many people are dying, I mean, that's that's not a good replication number for go forth, prosper, and, you know, take dominion over all I've given you. Yeah, be, be fruitful and multiply, and we... We take the ultimate um, means to make sure that doesn't happen, yeah. which is to, to you know, no one's supposed to survive an abortion. Abortion's only successful if it kills the baby. And the, the reason some people feel comfortable with 56 million abortions in the, in the world every year, some people would say, thank God for abortion. Obviously, there's a need. Obviously— we, we, we need this. This is a, this is a medical service. Mm. God bless the people that are doing this. There are some people that think that, and the reason they can think that is because they have dehumanized a segment of our human population, which we've done before yeah. in the United States, certainly. They've dehumanized this class of people because of their size and because of their location. And this class cannot defend themselves, not that they're simply, you know, um, not educated or, or any of those things like other other groups of people around the world who have been deemed, you know, non-human. Right. This class just actually can't. They're too small. <laughs> they, they have no defenses but us. And so, you know, if we acknowledge that the unborn child is a human is one of us and is a human zygote and a human embryo and a human fetus, uh, is not a zebra or a dolphin, then, you know, the only way to get rid of it, if we want to, is to dehumanize it and, and strip away his or her dignity. And we don't do that when we want the baby. And that's the scariest thing. We, we, we will find a, a pregnant woman who gets on a roller coaster or has a glass of wine um, but she could go down and just pay a doctor to have an abortion <laughs> down yeah. the street. And so sometimes they're the most protected class, and sometimes they're not, and that's based on our will. A double-minded man is off in every way. I mean, that's a great description mm-hmm. for, for what you just described. I mean, how can we, in one hand, look at a child as the most precious gift we could ever be given, and on the other side of the coin, just dispose of them in a, a, a what do they call it? Not a sharps container, but a, sorry, I'm on a different planet here, but that biohazard bag. That's where I'm trying to go. Yeah, you know yeah, I, mean? I met the medical waste truck. Yeah, yeah. How, how do we, <laughs> well, you know. Well, it's, I, uh, <laughs> it was, it, it wasn't tongue in cheek, but I, I have a chapter on schizophrenia in, in the new book, To Heart of the Matter, and we have to be schizophrenic. 
there was a late term abortion facility in Sacramento, California. And, you know, on the second floor, they did late term abortions. And on the fourth floor was the neonatal neonatal clinic where they were using all the gifts of medicine to save these babies who were 22, 23, 24 weeks. And on the second floor, you could just abort a 25 week old baby. And so that that shows the danger of the world that we've entered, not only the act itself, which Mm -hmm. is barbaric enough, but the mentality that has to support it, which is, yeah, but we want this baby. Right. And we don't want that baby. And that is the epitome of of might makes right. Yeah. Our our will dictates your dignity. And that's a scary place. And that's how genocides are started and how they're continued. The other day I was helping my brother-in-law. He uh, he works for an IT company. He's a co-owner in an IT company. Well, he's company. fortunate to have you as a brother-in-law. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> and uh, I call myself the closer. They always call me when the hard work needs to be done, right? So That's right. I told my wife as I was leaving, I'm probably going to come home dirty. And um, that was the case. I spent a lot of time in the ceiling of this facility. Honey, this is your family. I'm reminding <laughs> That's you. Right. This is your <laughs> That's <I'm> right. <laughs> so uh, I, I go, it's, it's at the pregnancy center, the local pregnancy center. And it was uh, as all this COVID thing was coming down and they were trying to figure out what they were doing. And that morning they had closed the doors of the facility and they had done a drive through for diapers and formula. So it was, you know, it was eight or 10 people in the building there, and they were kind of counting off formulas and restocking diapers. And they were, I guess, kind of having a powwow there at the end of the day as we were coming in to finish up this installation. And I was, I was pulling wire through the ceiling, and I got to uh, the, the room they were, they were meeting at. And I was just being nosy, I guess, and hearing the conversation. And it was kind of, oh, I'm so afraid I'm going to have to work from home. All this is so scary. And it just hit me that I've got, I've got something to tell these ladies to brighten up the day. So I, I come off the ladder, and I said, excuse me, ladies. I said, can I show you guys a picture on my phone? And they're like, what is this guy doing? And I said, have you ever seen a CPC kid? Now, the CPC is what they call their pregnancy center. And they said, what are you talking about? And I opened my phone, and I zoomed this picture of my eldest son. And I said, 17 years ago, you convinced this guy's mom not to kill him. And they said, what? And I said, this is my eldest son. He was adopted. In the very first place his birth mom came was this building. And you guys showed her with your ultrasound machine in there that there was a little person inside of her that needed a family. And at 16, she couldn't be that, so she chose us. And it was just... It was one of the most amazing it, things just to see the atmosphere change because first you get into the day to day and and somebody like you has to come along and say, you guys are forgetting the big picture. Right, like This right. is heroic. Yeah you, yeah. you, you did something and look at this kid. He's like my best friend and the most, one of the most amazing humans I've ever met. And this is what you did. This is, you don't just hand out diapers and formula in the midst of a crisis. You save people's lives. And here he is 17 years later. It was an amazing moment, and, you know, it moved me. It definitely moved them, and it's, it's just one of those things that when you 
haven't been there or seen that or had a part of it, it's so easy just to kind of just drive by the place and wonder why those Bible thumpers are out there hollering at you when you drive by or something. Right, but, right. And not that everybody does it the right way, but somebody's fighting for that kid's life. Somebody fought for my son's life. And and it really yeah, probably it, wasn't it, me at the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a stranger. It's a yeah. stranger. And, you know, we find that with 40 Days for Life, we, you know, I mentioned we have two campaigns mm-hmm. a year, fall and spring. And the spring is always smaller, less, less cities. Right. It wasn't, it's not, wasn't this past spring, but that's a one-off. <laughs> that was just God. Yeah. It would take him out of the equation. Usually fall is bigger. Yeah. And yeah. so the spring, you know, it's about 70 cities fewer than the fall because of weather. Mm-hmm. But we have more babies saved in the spring. Really? And people are always like, why in the world? That makes no sense. You run all the numbers. You know, you should have, you know, 22% more or whatever. Right. And it's because of weather, because the weather is miserable in the spring. It's winter for most places. Mm-hmm. And the women going in for abortions recognize that. And they see this stranger out in the cold, rain or snow, that is trying to help them. And you just can't be a judgmental jerk. <laughs> And do that. Right. You can be a judgmental jerk when it's 72 degrees and sunny right. and be like, I'm out here serving God. That's right. Sunglasses. <laughs> but but when it's snowing and it's, you know, 730 in the morning, that's a different story. And so that resonates that point that you just made about a strange, you know, this person, they've got to, there's got to be part of them that's at least trying to look out for me, even if they're wrong. Right. You know, their intention is there and it makes them think twice. That's amazing. You guys have been doing this quite a while. You also have a podcast I was unaware of, but uh, I'm going to be listening now. So, <laughs> you, 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 but, but in the pre in the pre show here, we talked for a few minutes about your numbers just dramatically increasing when the unplanned film came out. Um, you guys didn't see that coming, but I'm curious. We did. How 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 did that how did that film? I haven't seen the film. I have to say, the closest I've seen is Bruce Marciano's. Uh, I think it's Amy's Choice or something like that. Bruce made. I haven't seen Unplanned. I probably need to watch it. Uh, been a good you know Christian stay at home school dad. I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. But how did that film affect the uh, the tenor in in the U.S. about abortion? Uh, it, it was it it changed it. It, it transformed it. And, you know, we worked with Chuck and Carrie, Chuck Kunzelman and Carrie Solomon, who wrote God's Not Dead. Mm-hmm. And their next project was going to be unplanned. And they wanted everything. They wanted to write it. They wanted to direct it. They wanted to produce it. So we worked with them for four years. And the whole time, of course, you know, we're our organization's highly featured in the movie. Um, it's kind of a big advertisement for 40 days for life. Sweet. And of course our risk in it was that they make a bad movie mm, yeah. <laughs> that nobody wants to watch. No pressure. So, but, <laughs> but either way, we're like, Hey, we're going to help you guys. It's all for the cause, but please make a good movie. And, uh, they did, they made a fantastic movie. And I think that was the surprise of unplanned, um, uh, that the R rating, which they, you know, nobody really wants an R rating cause it is sort of a natural deterrent, but I think it helped the movie. It created controversy around the movie. Abortion is certainly R-rated. They show an abortion in the movie. So 
that got it a lot of attention, and it did four times what it was supposed to do its opening weekend, and it went from a thousand screens to seventeen hundred screens from week one to week two, wow. and it just, you know, that that's not the choir going to see it. When you start pulling those numbers, yeah, um, that's just not all the good church folk saying we need to support the Christian movies. Um, you're you're hitting real people, and you're you're getting you're get, hitting an audience that you really weren't supposed to hit. So, you know, one of the most powerful things out of Unplanned that was instant. I mean, overall, we saw a 30 percent increase in volunteers. Um, and we had we had hoped for that. Obviously, that was right. not our plan, but that was that was what we orchestrated and, and laid out to try to, you know, how, how many people will come into our world. But the real hope was this is going to save lives. Yeah. And that happened instantly. Instantly, one of the most powerful stories. I did a YouTube video on this for our our vlog, and um, there was this woman, and she was scheduled to have an abortion the Saturday of the weekend that Unplanned came out, and her friend, who was pro life, was trying to talk her out of it. <laughs> so to get her friend off her back, she said, "I'll even go see that crazy abortion movie that's coming out this weekend," which of course was Unplanned. And so they go Friday night, the night that Unplanned comes out. She's scheduled to have an abortion on Saturday. And she sees Unplanned, and she goes to the abortion facility uh, the next day. But instead of going inside and fulfilling her appointment, she joined the 40 Days for Life vigil oh and prayed for an end to abortion on the other side of the fence. Oh, my gosh. And this is just your textbook, not just, you know, a pro-abortion woman, but a woman who's scheduled to have an abortion. Right. Had reasons to have an abortion. Right. And her friend just sort of nagged her, and she she laid down the gauntlet and said, I'll go see your stupid pro-life movie. You know, that'll <laughs> shut you up. And uh, and then that, you know, that that's the power of the movie, and that's the power of making a good movie and telling the truth. And the best thing about Unplanned is that it's true. It's not that, you know, it's well done, and that's obviously a good thing. Um, but it's true. It's an accurate movie, uh, which was one of the reasons I was involved, you know, is they they wanted to make it accurate. And so it is accurate. It's powerful. you got to see it for I sure. I can't believe I have. I still um, have it. Oh, that's just ridiculous. Uh, well, hey, we give away a lot of DVDs on our <laughs> podcast. So you, <laughs> if you start listening, you have a good chance there of winning a DVD. But uh, – but yeah, it's it's uh, it really was. I, I laugh when you mention the podcast numbers because our podcast was three years old um, when, when Unplanned came out, and we just didn't think about it. We <laughs> this is just shows how stupid we were. We never connected that the movie would help our podcast. We thought it would definitely help our email list. It would help bring our bring volunteers in. That was the main goal that people would start going out to their local Forty Days for Life campaign, and that definitely happened we had like theaters going out when the movie ended going out to the vigil because it was it was going on when it unplanned came out but what what happened and we should have seen this coming so this is our bad but if you watch a movie and you're inspired by it and you see something in it that you're more interested in you pull out your iphone that's right and you google that thing (laughs) and the most the, the the instant access you have to us just with an iphone is the podcast so we had a great audience, but it tripled um, <laughs> overnight, essentially. So that was just instant. We saw the Friday, Saturday, Sunday of the opening weekend 
the podcast downloads just skyrocketed. We had done a lot of episodes. We had had some of the actors and actresses on and, and done a lot to, to promote the movie. And, and, um, but it, yeah, it's been a great way to reach people as you know. So just so, just so nobody gets the wrong idea here, what you, the, the conversation you're hearing are two podcasters having a conversation about show growth and, surprising show growth. <laughs> this isn't like, I, I don't sit around, I don't sit around. We, we don't just try to figure out ways to do things just to promote ourselves or our shows. What we're saying here is there are a lot of people in this nation and around the world, but we're primarily talking to a U.S. audience here. There's a lot of guys in this world looking for something to cling on to, to, to have a place, you know, maybe they, maybe they're not a Sunday school teacher or maybe they're not, you know, we can't say Boy Scout leader anymore, but maybe maybe they don't maybe they don't, right. maybe they don't have kids. You know, maybe they live in their mom's basement or something. But they they want to do something to connect for the greater good of humanity, and, and and they love Jesus. They just don't know how to plug in, where to plug in, and and what we're what we're defining here is a place for people to come and to work towards that good on behalf of those who can't do it themselves, and it's exciting to see people get excited about something that we're passionate about. So we're excited. I'm excited to know that, that Sean, your show tripled like that because that just shows people out there are hungry. They're looking to be involved. They're taking advantage of what you've put in front of them. It's, it's not about numbers. Numbers are great, but that's, we're talking about babies, little bitty human beings having an opportunity to take their first breath outside of the womb that's what we're talking about. And that that's exciting. So just, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea here. It's just two common guys. We have this in common and we understand the metrics of it. The more numbers means the more inf information out there. So I, I'm excited. To yeah, know and, that, and, and, it's, and it has it, the growth the, continued. The, the growth has continued. So Sweet. it wasn't the bump that, that went away. Yeah. And that's why tying this back to, to your your comment, it's not about, hey, our numbers are up. Yeah. Woo, aren't we? Fantastic. God's lucky to have us on his side. That's right. Um, it's not that. It is that that though that's really uh, people having a change of heart on abortion and going from I do nothing in the pro-life movement to I do something, right. whether that's listening to a podcast or it's volunteering or it's going to your local pregnancy center, and that has lasted and that's the power of the movie, the, to go back to your original question. Yeah. That's the power of the movie, that it, it showed an abortion. Hollywood blacked it out. They weren't allowed to advertise on cable TV. Mm -hmm. They had a marketing budget that they weren't allowed to spend in, in on television. It's amazing. Wow. And so, you know, but the story was powerful, and the, it told the truth. And that, in a small way, was reflected in our podcast, certainly reflected in volunteers taking action. I mean, it's hard to go out and pray at an abortion facility. I didn't want to do it the first yeah. time I did it. Um, I don't think anybody wants to do it. I'd rather be smoking ribs or watching college football. But when you go, you're the only one that wants to be there right. because no one grows up wanting an abortion. No man grows up wanting to pay for his girlfriend's abortion or desert her on the day of her abortion. And no doctor 
goes to medical school with the goal to be the best abortion doctor in the history of America. And they do that for all other medical fields, oncology, uh, you know, orthopedics, uh, everything. Mm -hmm. But the goal is not to be an abortion doctor. Nobody grows up wanting to work in this industry. So when you're there peacefully praying, offering joy and hope and mercy, we've helped over 200 workers leave their job who have had a conversion. Um, you know, of course they don't really want you out there at first, but that's, that's not where we pin our hope is us being out there. It's that the, 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 as mother Teresa always said, being the hands and feet of Christ to those who are looking for him. And, um, and he's contagious as we know. So (laughs) that's one of the beautiful things that we've seen is, is the power of presence has an impact. You know, this being a men's centric podcast, uh, a lot of guys are wondering, why are we talking about abortion? <laughs> well, we're going to talk about a lot of <laughs> things as we continue the conversation. But, you know, I think that we, we, we really, and this conversation has kind of focused around the birth moms, the pregnant ladies, whatever we want to call them, um, the women in question, the, the ladies coming for an abortion. Where, do this, where does the guy fall? Where do you see the men falling out in this? Because that... that you said it, I think. They they abandon you there, give you the money and take off. But where do you see men in this process on that side of the issue? It's it's huge. Um that men are are definitely impacted by abortion. Um half the abortions in this country are done on little boys, half of them are done on little girls. But there's a myth. There's two myths. The first is this is a woman's issue and you have no say. And that's not true because legally we have men have no say. But it's also not true because despite the efforts of many in our culture, it still requires a man and a woman to make a baby. And so men are involved. Um, So that's myth number one is that it's it's only a woman's issue. And by the way, it was nine men on the Supreme Court who gave abortion to America. There was no referendum. It was men making it legal. So the other thing is no one benefits more from abortion. No one benefits more from abortion than bad and irresponsible men. And that is an unfortunate reality for the feminists who see abortion as as empowering women as something that makes them who they are is your ability. I think one of Planned Parenthood's former executives said what makes woman a woman is her ability to have an abortion, which is uh, okay. basically the complete opposite of what happens in Luke chapter one yeah. when the angel Gabriel uh, goes to uh, Mary. So uh, this is the mentality. Abortion equals empowerment. Um, and what a devastating and sad reality. But Men are not shoved to the sidelines. I think too often they're sprinting towards the sidelines. Mm. And the the bad and irresponsible men that, that don't take responsibility for what's going on, most women, there is no man present the day of their abortion. Most men hide behind the most useless statement that any man can make on any topic, whether it's taking your girlfriend or your wife out to dinner or where you're going to go on vacation or what time you're going to mow the grass or an abortion. 
And that statement is, whatever you decide, I will completely support you. This is your decision. You know, I mean, just zero leadership, zero wisdom, zero <laughs> courage, zero fortitude. And men have hid behind that and run to the sidelines. And um, that is not, that's men not standing up. And so I have so many close friends uh, who did stand up or who didn't and, and obviously have deep regret about it years later. But the idea that she leaves the abortion facility and whether you're there or not as a man that, you know, that that doesn't really matter. And, and you're just she's going to go deal with the healing and you're going to go on and, and get married and have six kids or, or date somebody else or do whatever and, and act as if everything is normal. That's a lie. Uh, I've met men in their 70s who paid for their girlfriends to have illegal abortions before 1973 who went 30 or 40 years without telling their wife wow. who they had grandkids with, um, much less the young men who, you know, leave the abortion facility and, and often that same week start to question it. Like, what have I, what have I done? I wonder if it was a boy or a girl. You know, they start to think about those things and that's devastating because it, it's an attack on everything men are supposed to be, which is protectors and, and respecters of, of women. And I think obviously this goes into promiscuity, you know, I mean, the idea that if, if, if we save sex for marriage, most abortions in our country are, uh, gone. Mm-hmm. That's just a reality. And some people just kind of roll their eyes like, I mean, what century are you living yeah. in? And, but that, that is a, that is a fact. And you're not an alien if you uh, save yourself um, or recommit. And so for marriage, um, I put a chapter in the new book called virginity is not a curse word, you know, and it's, 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 it's just like, this is not, this is not like, you know, you don't have a right arm and everybody's staring at you in the grocery store. I mean, virginity is, 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 is freedom. And I think for most men, um, they see that because they see the pain of, of falling into that cultural lie that, you know, boys will be boys and you grow up and you sleep around and then you settle down and it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Um, that, that's not the smooth transition. Um, and that's not how the devil works. He doesn't give you this sort of period of, Hey, you go live a little and then I'll let you off the hook and we'll hand you over to God. The devil doesn't do that. He's a roaring lion looking for someone to devour as Peter tells us. So it's, um, I, you know, I, when, when we talk about men at 40 days for life, we have a lot of men that have suffered through an abortion. We have a lot of men, uh, we have a campaign leader who drove his stepdaughter in to have an abortion 30 years ago and she ended up taking her own life and he leads his local 40 days for life campaign, knowing his failure as a man to stand up. He knew it was wrong. He, He was questioning himself as he was waiting for her in the parking lot, he knew he had made the biggest mistake of his life. And she never got over that. She never got over it because he never stood up for her. And I think that that should challenge us as men to speak out uh, against abortion, obviously to do so in love and and compassion, uh, but also to encourage other young men this is not the path. This is not a woman's issue. When things go south, 
You were together when you made the baby, but now that things are going south, you're you're running for the hills, or you're saying it's your decision. Um, those men are are going to end up going through a tremendous amount of suffering. So I would, I think we could right now say that just like pornography is a much bigger issue for men, meaning that the the results of pornography are not the reason for it existing, but the, the blame, the weight of pornography uh, is a man's problem because it, it really does uh, mistreat the women, most especially those who have been trafficked or, or however you want to look at that. And abortion mm-hmm. could be, you can put these in the same box. I mean, these are men problems. Yeah. We, we're saying, yeah. oh, well, she's just a slut and likes to take her clothes off and do stuff on a camera. Why? What made her get there, right? And right, what feeds her there? And it's the same way with abortion. I mean, if I'm hearing you, it's it's a man's problem. And it's because we have men, as men, have failed. A lot of us haven't been taught. A lot of us have never been modeled. And that's a partial excuse, but it's still a reality. But this is a it man's is. problem. And this is a man's problem. You're absolutely right. And we have a lot of fatherless men. And I always encourage them that th- th- what you said, that that's a reason you may have a tendency, but it's not ultimately an excuse. Yeah. You can overcome that. Our Lord put you in this position. He did not abandon you. It's not that, you know, you didn't have a good man in your life to show you the ropes um, and you were given that cross but it, it, it doesn't mean that it's a cross that you can't carry and that our Lord won't help you. He is the ultimate man in your life, and your Father in heaven is your ultimate Father. And so it is a cross. It's not something to blow off. Yeah, get over it. You mm-hmm. didn't have a dad. I mean, that's the, nobody could say that. No. But it's not something that, that should paralyze you. It, it is absolutely not something that paralyzes you. It certainly doesn't justify how you treat other men or other women. Um, you're exactly right about the pornography. Once you... Once you strip away the dignity of women, you can use them. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, you can strip away the dignity of the fruit of you using them, which is pregnancy and a baby. So the lack of respect, the lack of dignity that I'll use you, we're just out having fun. Um, it doesn't do anybody any harm. How much? <laughs> You know, you never say that about things that don't do any harm. Right. You know, and so, right. you know, it, you know, if you eat seven pizzas watching college football all day and at the end you're like, I didn't do anybody any harm. It's because you know that like you're you're not going to be able to move the next day. Right. Um, th- this is we only say that about things that we're guilty of. So, you know, I think that. That connection of stripping away the dignity of the the woman, but endorsing how previous men treated that woman. I heard a great talk one time on is a chastity talk. Um, this guy gives chastity talks to young people, and I was listening to him speak one day. I had one of his CDs, and he he helps women get out of the pornography industry, and he helps them get out of strip joints and and all these other things. And he talked about. Most of them are obviously molested by somebody in their family, but molested by a man somewhere along the line. Um, They've been abused in some form or fashion. But often they take their own lives. 
after being in the pornography industry. And he said, every man needs to think of that. If you are watching a pornography, there's a very good chance that you're watching a dead girl. Wow. And she's now dead. And that's what you're doing. And it was a great line. It was a great That's pretty point. stout, man. That's pretty stout. It's pretty stout. It's pretty hardcore. Like, you want to go there? This is where we're going. Yeah. So it is, you know, that that's a great challenge to men. This whole notion that this isn't a person because she's on your computer screen or on your television is a is a lie from the devil. Yeah. And uh, it's certainly, it, it, like you said, there was a road to that event for her mm-hmm. and men endorsing that by watching this garbage is, 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 is makes it worse. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I tell, I told my sons, it, it's been a couple of weeks ago. I got three boys and two girls. Uh, and, uh, I would love to adopt some more. So I don't know if that will happen, but, but I would take them. I, I we've, we've talked about seven since we've been married right now, we're at five and, uh, we'll see what happens down the road, but I'm 46. So how much time, you know, whatever. Um, but, but I, my wife and I, we were, she's just getting back to work and finances have been stressful for the whole year. God's been good. Don't get me wrong, but still, you know, money's real. Right. So we were having this little back and forth thing. And I told my sons, they were, we're all, all of five of our kids are in the room with us and we're kind of yang back and forth. Just not, not harsh, but it was, it's just marriage. Right. And I looked at my boys and I said, guys, I said, this is what it is right here. This is not where you want to be. This is not the, the attitude you want to have, but this is what being a man, being a part of being a man is it's, it's dealing with bills. It's dealing with children who don't want to do what they are told to do. It's, it's not just big muscles and four wheel drive diesel trucks. You know, it's a whole lot. No, as cool as those are. <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't have either one anymore. <laughs> well, I've never had the muscles, I but I, I lost my diesel truck. I lost. That's I had to right. sell my diesel truck when Carla got sick. But anyway, the reality is, this is this is part of being a man. Not arguing with your wife, but bearing the responsibility for your family. That's where the conversation was at, and it doesn't matter, like you said, that we we excuse it to an extent and it's, it's okay. But at the, at the same time, if you're going to act like a grown man, you got to be a grown man. And whether you're in your mom's basement or you've got eight kids and and, you know, you're a CEO of a nonprofit or you're just a stay at home dad on a farm or you change all the Jiffy Lube. I mean, it doesn't matter if you stand up when you go to the bathroom and you're, well, you can't even say birth certificate anymore. So if you know you're a man and you're confident in your your ability to be a man, you have to model the ultimate man. That's Jesus. And Jesus took those most oppressed. Look at Mary Magdalene. I mean, if she, if she wasn't a porn star, I mean, who was, right? And and what did he do? Right. Well, we don't think about that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm not trying to turn this conversation into off. that, but there it is, you know. No, it's 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 beautiful when everybody ran off yeah. out of fear. There was this beloved disciple, John, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, yep. his mother. And the you know, the the former prostitute is the one who showed up yeah. in, in, during his dying moments. And you know, I I think that Jesus was a man 
you, you know, you mentioned it doesn't matter. You, you'd be changing oil. Mm-hmm. You could be the CEO of United Airlines right now or, or some major Fortune 500 company. Uh, your work offered up for God as an example of authentic manhood is so powerful. I mean, you know, one of the most forgotten men in the Gospels is Joseph. You know, he's he's a simple carpenter. Yeah. And he had he was tasked by God with the small assignment of, you know, helping raise the, the savior of the world. And um, no pressure. And here he was. <laughs> no pressure. And he's a carpenter. And I don't know, in his heart, did he think, gosh, I mean, the savior of the world's going to do what I do as a trade, you know? And the answer is yes, yes. And, you know, I think that he protects his family. He protects Jesus and Mary. And, you know, um, he sort of kind of gets lost, obviously, but he's a great model for men. Yeah. Uh, He works, he sweats, and he is faithful to Jesus Christ. Um, and so, you know, I think that we get caught up as men in what we do and it doesn't matter what you do. It, 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 you know, but it's like, what do you do? How much money you make? Mm -hmm. Um, but we don't get caught up in being a virtuous man in, you know, St. Paul says, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And Christ was crucified for the church. He gave everything. He laid down his life. And that's how that's what we do for our wives. And that doesn't necessarily mean all, any of us would be hit by a car for our wives or we die for our wives. But that's almost the easier decision. You know, what about cleaning up the kitchen and not being told to turn off the television and helping with the kids when she doesn't ask, leading our families in prayer uh, every day? Those are the things that we can crucify ourselves, you know, daily um, and putting aside our, our small little comforts to love our wives. And there's no, you know, happy wife, happy life yep. is not just a, a, a bumper sticker. It, it is That's a true story, accurate. bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. So in, in this time, now we're going to date the episode right here, but in this time of just complete loss of all sensibility from every, every angle, everywhere you look, the world has lost its mind right now. We, <laughs> we, we really need men to, to come back home, whether they're at home or not. But I mean, we really need them to come home and be the husbands, their wives deserve and the, the father, their kids need right now. I mean, I, I'm not trying to like be Mr. Dark here. I'm, I'm just being serious we need the men. We need men to be men right now more than we've seen the need for men to be men in our lifetimes. I believe. Yeah, and and I think it's it's hard for men to be men right now in in small things because they're stuck at home. Mm-hmm. And and I I home office, but I travel a lot, and you know all my trips are canceled. Yeah, about ten of them this spring, <laughs> and and so you're just home, and and you know we need to be patient with. Our wives, we need to be patient with our kids, and it is a beautiful time. It's it's a gift from our Lord. Every every cross is a gift. You yeah. know, we don't want coronavirus. We don't want people to get sick or die, but it it's happening, and we're left to deal with it. You know, and it's a great opportunity to start new habits. I think as men, 
um, you know, carve out five or 10 minutes in the morning to read a scripture to your children, uh, to pray with your kids, to read to your small kids. There's something about being a little kid and seeing your dad read to you, you know, mm-hmm. um, and what a, what we have, what a beautiful time we can use to form those habits. We're all stuck in this Corona craziness for, you know, at least another month, probably longer. And we can, if it's 21 days to form a habit, then there's a lot of good habits right. we can form that we can continue. And, and it's just spending that time and we're busy, you know, men need to work. You can't be at everything, you know, yeah. uh, of course, all, all those realities are real and those realities will come back. But there are little ways we can carve out time uh, with our kids. And I read a beautiful article uh, on on men and it was this airline pilot and he had seven kids. And, you know, I have eight. So I thought, mm-hmm. how in the world? And he he was an airline pilot and I travel a lot, but I'm not an airline pilot. And they interviewed his kids. They were all grown. And um, they said, wasn't that just miserable on your family? I mean, your dad's constantly leaving or coming or going, and it's here, there. You can't really go with him a lot of times, so he's you know, sort of living on the road all the time, and you're at home. And, and all of his kids said, but he spent time with us when he was home. And that wasn't a lot compared to other families because of his job, but it made it even more meaningful. And that doesn't mean that you ignore your kid and then once a month you take him to play golf and you're like, I spoiled you growing up. We golfed, you know, every Saturday, the third Saturday of the month. They're like, but I I didn't see you on Tuesday. So, you know, it doesn't mean that. But these small things we can do during the coronavirus, either in the morning or at night, going out uh, and having lunch with your kids in the dining room, you know, which nobody ever gets to experience. Usually on a Wednesday, kids are in school, you know, those kind of fun things going outside, uh, you know, and, and playing with them, you know, first thing in the morning, these are things that we can do to form future men. And it's the effort and it's going to help our wives out for sure. And that's, that's the most important thing. Absolutely. Tell me, um, as we close this thing down, what can, uh, of course, the the whole nation's in a, a state of prayer, at least in some levels, at some levels. How can we continue to pray for you, for, you, for your ministry, uh, what you guys are doing for the unborn? Uh, what What is something very specific that we can do? Because a lot of us have a lot of time on our hands, just like we talked about right now. And not to take away from our family or our jobs, but uh, there, there's, there's nothing to watch on ESPN, NFL Network showing reruns. <laughs> I mean, men are lost right now. So give us, give us something to do, Sean. Tell us what we can do to help yes, the unborn. There, there's no, there's no college basketball. No college, nothing. God help us, literally. Uh, there better be college football. Then we're going to have real problems. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll give you something specific. Every forty days for life. Uh, location. You know, we had 507 cities this spring. It ends on Palm Sunday and we had to suspend the vigils. I made the decision, very difficult one last week to suspend the vigils before all the shutdowns started. It was starting to start, but we wanted to get ahead of it. And so the physical vigils out in front, were not gathering for obvious reasons during the pandemic. And, um, 
just I want you to uh, everybody to just pray for our local leaders. You know, they will come back to us in the summer. We'll train them all summer and we'll get ready for what will be a huge fall 2020 40 Days for Life campaign. And there'll be a lot of craziness going on in our country. So just pray for our local leaders, for their their endurance, their courage, and their families. You know, it's hard leading a 40 Days for Life campaign. I led 11 local campaigns before having to devote all my time to to the, the international scene. But it's very difficult, and it's worth it. You know, we've seen over 17,000 babies saved. We've helped over 200 abortion workers and all of that fruit, you know, the one million people who have volunteered for us, they were recruited by these local leaders. And so pray for them that the Lord gives them his consolation and, and his encouragement. How can we find you online? I'm a Twitter guy, so of course I'm going there first, but uh, I know you got website, podcast. I mean, yeah. tell, tell us where we can find you because we want to just uh, keep pushing so, those numbers and make them bigger. Yeah, 40daysforlife.com is our website, so you can check us out there and join our email list. We send out the daily scriptures during the 40 Days for Life campaign and the daily updates. Uh, The podcast is everywhere you can get a podcast, and that's easy. That's just the 40 Days for Life podcast. And then we also have a vlog on YouTube, and it's just the 40 Days for Life. When you type that into YouTube, type in 40 Days for Life, you'll see our uh, our, our vlog. And so, so yeah, uh, be sure to check us out. And we have a free quarterly magazine also. You can get that on our website, 40daysforlife.com. So a lot of good free resources out there for everyone who is still stuck at home. And you've got a couple of books as well. We can find those, I guess, Amazon and on the website. Yes. And the last one is uh, To the Heart of the Matter. And that was timely. I didn't know there would be a coronavirus pandemic, (laughs) but it's on living a culture of life in the small things that we do every single day. It's a 40-day devotional. It hits on a lot of what we talked about today. So we could start it now and maybe be back to some sort of normalcy by the time we get to the end and be a changed person building two habits in the process. <laughs> it's it's 40 days long, so it actually <laughs> would be a good time. <laughs> Sean, I have tremendously enjoyed having you on. I, I, I haven't well, be, 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 everybody else knows this, but you, this is the first podcast back for me since pressing the pause button a year ago this month. Mm. So it's nice to come back with a smile. Although it's a very heavy topic and a very heavy time, it's mm-hmm. nice to come back with a smile. And I really appreciate you bringing that to my face today. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and wish you guys all the best uh, through this time, but most especially for those children that you guys are battling for. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for the, your prayers, your work. And I was honored to be on uh, after your uh, after your sabbatical. So well, welcome back. Thank you so much, Sean. Enjoyed it, man. Have a great day. Thanks again. Thank you. To learn more about the show, what we've got going on, who I am, where I've been, and what's up next, remember to visit modernchristianmen.com.